All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Barrel Life Church. It's so good to see you guys. Hope you're excited. You're excited to be here today? I hope you are. I'm excited to be here. It's so good. One of the favorite things every week is coming is worshiping as one big family. Uh, we love you guys so much. Our church, our staff, the, the, the staff is just unbelievable uh, how much they just love you and pray for you and, and think about you all through the week so that you can have a great experience and that you can encounter Jesus at the kids level, the student, the college, and here on Sunday mornings. And so guys, thank you so much for worshiping with us. Also wanna welcome everybody of all of our campuses. We are one church in three locations, in Ashland and Grayson and here in Moorhead. And also welcome everybody watching online. So before we jump into today's message, I, I need your help. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing something as a church. We really wanna to get a survey and we really wanna engage where we are relationally in our relationships. So if you're 18 or older, I want you to do a favor for me, please. We're gonna stop right here in the middle before we go any further. I want you to grab your phone. Everybody take your phone out real quick. If you're 18 and older, I want you to grab your phone. In front of you at our physical locations is a QR code. Now, if you don't know what a QR code, it's okay. Just ask the middle schooler. They'll fill you in on that um, if you don't know what that is. And so a QR code in front of you, you can hold your, your camera up and zoom in on that QR code, and it will take you to a, a really quick 60-second survey about relationships. We have no idea who you are. We're not tracking you. We're not Google or Alexa. She knows everything about you, by the way. And so we're not tracking you. This is completely anonymous. And uh, if you have the QR code, you can, you can do it. If you want to text it, it's easy. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna text it because I don't have a QR code in front of me. And so I'm gonna do this with you. If you will text Better Life KY, we may have the number. If we don't have the number, I'll give you the number. It's really easy. If you pull up your text messages, if you're watching online, I want you to do this. Come on, every campus, pull your phone out. And I want you to text at 606, real easy, 606. 603, if you pull up your text message, 606-603-3256. Again, one more time, I know, this is a commercial break, but this is really gonna help us out as a church family. It's 606, 603, come on, everybody grab your phone, uh, 3256, and text Better Life KY. Don't care if you have a cat, just all one word, Better Life KY. And within about 10 to 15 seconds, a link's gonna pop up. Again, we're not tracking you. We have no idea who links pop up. We just have the results. It takes 60 seconds to do this. If you click on that link, it's gonna walk you through some, some really quick questions. And we just want to, one, holistically see where we are as a church. We want to engage in our relationships, whether you're single, whether you're dating, where you're married, where you're married again, where you're single again. We want you to answer these honestly so it gives us great feedback so that we can continue on and figure out the best way we can serve our church family. So go ahead and put your age. Man, I'm in the 40s now, dang. Man, why you, you feel like you're 20, you know, in your head, but man, you moved up, right? It's really quick. I am married, I'm walking through this, so we're together. We're doing this together, come on, as a church family. So it's gonna ask you about your relationships. Ask you how you feel, if you're lonely. It's a counseling session right now, right? Right, it's quiet. We need some like, like music, like ambient music playing right now. What that is like set the mood as you answer these questions. Some of you are like, listen, you can't fail it, okay? Some of you are scared to death. I don't, I got to, some of you type A people, calm down, okay? Just calm down. You're not gonna fail this, okay? You, you're like, can I get 105 on it? No, it's really easy. You're just gonna walk this out. We just wanna get an understanding relationally where you are as a church family in our marriages, our singleness, our relationships, our dating, and this is really gonna help us serve our family a lot better. So just walk through that real quick. 
I'm, going, I'm doing it with you. You can see how fast it goes. We are not going to get through this together, serious. This is going to be so fun, so fun. Oh, goodness. All right. Now, if you're t- still taking a survey, you can stop and... Re- figured it out at the end of the message so we could continue on. Really honestly, guys, thank you so much for walking through. I just walked through that too together. This is really gonna help us um, just really engage where we are relationally in our, in our church family and help us serve you better. So thank you for all doing that. If you missed it, you could always do it after the service and I'm gonna do this again next week just in case that you just wanna think we're tracking or something. You understand it's okay. And so again, thank you guys so much for coming, hanging out with us. Grab your Bible, go to Luke chapter 14 or you, if you have your phone out, you can go to the Bible app, Luke chapter 14. We're in this series called Walk This Way and hopefully the Lord has been using this in your life to look at what does it truly mean to follow after Jesus? Like what does it look like to fully be his disciple and pursue him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind? And so we've been walking through a few statements and there are three statements in our passage where Jesus says, if you do not, you cannot be my disciple. We've looked at two of those and today we're gonna look at one and I'm gonna shed some light to explain it because this is the one that really trips a lot of people up. This is one that I would say competes with our heart the most that we wanna make sure that we're all on the same page of what Jesus is saying when he makes this statement. So if you're ready to get started, say amen. Here we go. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25, the Bible says this, a large crowd was following Jesus and he turned around and he said to them, Now, remember in week one, we talked about the large crowd. There's always a large crowd following Jesus, and in the crowd are so many different type of people. They're skeptics, they're believers, they're non-believers, they're people who are just in it for for their own selfish gain. They're fake people, they're fake Christians, or they're fake followers of Jesus, which the Bible talks about, that, that we should test our hearts to make sure that we are in the faith. And so this crowd is full of all different type of people with all different types of motive following after Jesus. He turns to them and he says this, if you want to be my disciple, this is a very big statement, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and yes, even your own life, or otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus saying? Should we hate our family? That is not what he's saying. He's saying, in comparison, your love for me and your love for your family, your love for me should be so great that if you can compare it, it will look like you hate your family. Now, you know how much you love your family. So God says, you should love me even more, that you should love me supremely, that I should be the number one relationship in your life, I should be the highest esteemed love in your life. So if you wanna be my disciple, you have to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, or you cannot be my disciple. I'm sure at that point, some people walked away. They said, okay, well, or I, I don't, I'm not gonna hate my mom and dad. I, I read the Ten Commandments. They said, I honor your mother and your father, so that's not gonna be me. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He said, in comparison, that you should love me greater than anybody else. Verse 27, very familiar verse if you've been to church. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So what does it mean to carry your cross? It doesn't mean that you wear a cross or you you wear a shirt with a cross or you get a tattoo of a cross and I bear my cross. It doesn't mean that you carry burdens. We all have burdens. 
You know, people say, I got laid off at work, but it's okay, sister, it's just the burden that I've gotta carry. The cross never meant burdens. It never meant a burden, it actually means death. And so when the first century Jews heard this, they said, what do you mean pick up your cross? The Romans have perfected crucifixion. I'm not dying for you, am I? Is that what you're saying? If I wanna be your pupil, your learner, your disciple, I have to die? And Jesus says, yes. Now, physically, some of them did. But today, fast forward 2,000 years later, some people are dying today. Right now, they will die today for their faith. Jesus says, if you wanna be my disciple, you gotta die to yourself. You gotta die to your plans, your dreams, your kingdom, your ways, your thinking, all this stuff, and you give your life and surrender to me. Sacrifice yourself for me, but when you do that, I will resurrect your dreams, resurrect your purpose, and I'll give you plans, because my plans are greater than your plans, he says. Do you trust me? A lot of us won't trust Jesus in those areas of our life. So twice he says, you cannot be my disciple. So then he goes on to explain, and we talked about this last week in two of the parables. I just wanna recap, make sure we're on the same page. Verse 28, but don't begin, don't begin what? Don't begin to come after me. Don't begin to follow me. Don't begin to be a believer until you sit down and you count the cost, because it will cost you. And we talked about last week, every decision you make in your life will cost you. If you decide to work overtime because they pay you time and a half, that will cost you your family. Every single thing will cost you. If you, if you, if you choose to put your kids in every single extracurricular activity outside of school, which I'm not knocking that, that's awesome, that's great, but if they're in every single one and you complain that you don't have time to be at church, you don't have time to read your Bible, you don't have time to serve, you don't have time to spend with your family, that costs you. What I just want you to know that every decision you make in your life will cost you. So Jesus saying, you gonna come after me? You better count the cost. He said, for who will begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it, right? You sit down, do I have enough money to build this? If not, make sure I, I gotta figure out how to, how to finance it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation, you only get halfway started before running out of money. And then everyone will laugh at you. And they would say, there's the person who started the building but could not afford it. They ridicule you, they made fun of you. One of the greatest damaging things for the church today is the people who say they follow Jesus but they don't live like it. They say they follow after God and do with the things of God, but then they live like a hellion. We call those hypocrites, by the way, right? That people say one thing, but their actions another one. They come to church on Sunday and wave their hanky and worship God, but then they act like a hellion all through the week at work or at home or whatever it may be that you go to or do. There's, there's a disconnect of what you say and who you worship then your behavior and your action and your belief. There's something wrong. That damages the church. So Jesus is like, it's time to weed them out. Weed everybody out. I want true thoughts. Who's gonna be committed to really come after me and follow me? He goes on and says in another parable right after that, verse 31, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? So it brings all the general around. They're in the war room and they're talking about, okay, guys, we only got 10,000, they have 20. They've outnumbered us. Here's the odds. What's the, what could happen? Well, they'll destroy our kingdom, they'll kill all of our women, children, and kids, and livestock, and they'll kill us, and they'll take our land. We can't beat them. Ah, uh, death is imminent. Or we could say, you know what? We surrender. We'll send a delegate out while the enemy's way off. Let's, let's, let's have a peace treaty. What terms of peace? We'll surrender our kingdom, this is our providence, we'll be under your rule, but can we keep our family, our livestock, our, our way of life, but everything we own is yours. You're gonna count the cost, because the reality is there is a king, his name is Jesus, and his kingdom is coming, and it will come, and it is coming now. 
and his king is powerful, and his kingdom is powerful than your kingdom, and eventually your kingdom will fall. Everything you do right now, try to build up your own kingdom, to survive in your own kingdom when it's all about you, because you want to be the king of your life. You want to be the Lord of your life. I said this over and over and over. We want the kingdom, we just don't want the king. We don't want the king to tell us how to run our business, how to run our finances, how to run our family, how to run our purity, how to run our relationships, how to run my education. We don't want, the, we don't want Jesus. We want to get out of hell free card. Thank you that I got out of hell. Woo! Glad that happened. But let me run my life for the next 60, 70, 80 years on earth if God allows you to live that long. See, we want the kingdom. We just don't want the king. But the reality is you can't have both because the kingdom of God is moving and coming and the king will come back. And it's way more powerful. And everything we have is his. So the reality is what he's trying to get to the point is this. Go ahead and surrender. Because there's a battle you cannot win. You can fight till you die. You can fight it all out. But you're going to lose. So why don't you go ahead and surrender? Because you will someday. The Bible says someday that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every color of skin, every nation, every tribe, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're agnostic, you're an atheist, or some other religion, every knee will bow and says, you are the one true God. My prayer is that you'll do it on this side of eternity before it's too late. You will bow someday. So why don't you go ahead and surrender everything you are and everything you have to him. So then we pick up with the next verse. And this is where we're gonna focus on today. In verse 33, he says this, and this is fascinating. He already said, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple, and here's the third one. So you cannot become, now so means what I just said, you gotta count the cost, surrender the kingdom, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Now, this is crazy. You can't become my disciple, literally, literally, it says, unless you renounce all your possessions. Now, come off the story, the kingdom, right? The king's going, okay, I gotta surrender my whole kingdom. I gotta surrender my palace, I gotta surrender my family, my livestock, my fortune, our banks, our storage, everything, our grain, everything we have, we have to now surrender to him. And right on the ends of that parable, Jesus says, unless you surrender and give up every single possession you have, you cannot be my disciple. Now I wonder, I wish we could like scroll back, right? I wish that was on TikTok. Like I wanna see, I wanna see how many people actually are reals left. Like, I wonder how many people go, man, I don't know if I can do that. Like, hate my family, die, crucifixion, and now just give you everything? Like, give up all my possessions? Could you imagine, now, now this side of the cross, we, we hear, could you imagine listening to that for the very first time? How would you respond? What would you have done? And for some of you right now, whether you're at one of our campus or Ashland or Grayson or right here more, maybe for the very first time you've even heard this. Like, man, I just walked in, I'll set a prayer, check the card. No one told me I gotta like hate my family and give up my possessions and like carry a cross. Like, what is that? And so some of you, and I don't mean to be mean by that, some of you, this is the very first time you've heard this and you've not heard this before and now you've gotta count the cost. Some of you already know this and you still haven't counted the cost. Why? Because we think our way is better. We think well, we, we, we wanna be the king and the Lord of our life. So what did Jesus say here? You cannot be my disciple without renouncing. If you look up that word, it says giving up. So I did a lot of research and study on this word. And this is the same word, if you remember, we talked about the man came and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, but first let me go back home. And what does he say? Let me say goodbye to my family. That same word, goodbye, is the same Greek word right here as give up. 
It means to renounce. It means to go ahead and say goodbye to all your possessions. This word carries an emotional context. We are so emotionally connected to our possessions because they're ours, at least we think they're ours. And what he says, is, here's what he literally says, I love the message paraphrase. You might as well go in and kiss them goodbye, all your possessions. They no longer will control you. Now here's what he did not say. He didn't say give away all your possessions. Now notice he didn't say go give away all your possessions. And some is like, oh, praise Jesus, <laughs> praise the Lord. Like, he didn't say that. He said, you gotta give them up. Now, there's a story, remember, about the rich young ruler who came and Jesus says, listen, you think you got everything ready? Go sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me, and he didn't because he thought he kept all the commandments, but he broke the first one, which means that you should not have any God before me, and his possessions became his idol, became his God, and he was not willing to break away from his idol to follow Jesus. That was his problem. He's not saying that to you. He's not saying that as believers that we should sell everything we have and go live impoverished. You see, there's a big going around about the prosperity gospel that, hey, if you give your life to Jesus, you're gonna have like no acne, you're gonna have like all the money in the world, and you're gonna like be very super skinny or something. Like, like there's this prosperity movement of it that is heresy, that's false. But so is the poverty gospel. Just because you're a believer means you can't have things, you can't have, you can't drive a certain car, you can't live a certain place, or you gotta live in poverty. Show me that. He's not saying that. He didn't say go give all your stuff away. He could tell you to do that, and would you? That's the question, would you, if he said do it? He says you got to emotionally detach yourself, kiss them goodbye, say your goodbye to every single possession that you have. Or you cannot be my disciple. Why is that so tough for us? Why, why do you think it's so tough to renounce those things? to say goodbye. In Matthew chapter six, you can flip over with me if you want. If not, it's okay. It'll be up on the screen. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus, he makes this statement, and I want you, we're gonna question our heart. We're gonna, we're gonna test ourselves. We're gonna see who really is our master. And in Matthew chapter six, this is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the great sermons. You know, hear what Jesus preached all the time. He says this in verse 19. He says, don't store up treasures on earth where moths eat and rust and destroy them, and where three thieves break in and steal them. Store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy them, and thieves do not break in and steal them. For where your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Or where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So what is he saying? Your treasure shows you where your heart is. For them, in this time, your treasures is how you dress, the clothes you wear. That's why he talks about moths eating away the linen because the certain type of clothes I wear showed my status in community, and when I, wanna, when I wanna show the status or my identity based on my clothing, he says, why do you buy this stuff when you put them away and moths can destroy it or eat at it? Rust literally means to eat at. I don't think your clothes are gonna rust like you think of a, 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 a rusty nail. He says rust literally means to eat away at. And so he says, while you have these things, it's gonna be gone someday. Why don't you focus on your treasure or things that cannot be destroyed in, in heaven? You hear people say all the time, well, you can't take your stuff with you, so you might as well just have fun. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. And how you handle what you handle. And the Bible has so much to talk about this. But that's what I wanna focus on. He says where your heart or where your treasure is, the desires of your heart. So if you wanna know where your heart is, because your heart will deceive you, follow your treasures. 
Because wherever your treasure is, where you treasure the most, your heart will be. It's quickly. So what is he saying? This is a heart issue. It's not a budget issue. It's not a broke issue. It's not, it's not how much money I make issue. It's not how much possession. You can have nothing. You can have abundance. Has nothing to do with things. It's a heart. So if you're here today and you are in poverty, this applies to you. If you're here today and you have abundance, this applies to you. If you're anywhere in between, this applies to you. So it's a heart. So listen to what he says. Your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. And when your eye is unhealthy or diseased, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you, you have is actually darkness, then how deep is that darkness? And basically saying the light into our heart as we see things. He's not, he's not talking about being blinded here. He's talking about being blinded by the things of this world. And then here it is, verse 24. This is the, this is the correct. No one can serve two masters, right? We have a king who's coming and we're in our own kingdom. Do I wanna be the master of the Lord of my life or do I want Jesus to be the master? It's a discipleship question you have to ask. No one can serve two masters. And look what he says. For you will hate one and you will love the other one. You will devote to the one and you will despise the other one. You cannot, not that you should not, that you, not that you would not, you cannot. Look what he says. Serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, our translation translates to money, which literally means riches, wealth, or possessions, if we go back to the context we're in. When Jesus says, unless you kiss all your possessions goodbye, unless you emotionally detach from them, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. How do you do that? How do you know today if you are enslaved to your money? or to your possessions. How do you know that? Doesn't matter how much you have. Doesn't matter how much you have. This is not about like, well, you, talk, you preach to all those rich people, preacher. That's not, no, no, no. All of us, including my, I'm preaching to myself. How do you know that money is your master? How do you know that? Like, how, do you, how would you really know and sit back? Because we, we try to have the purest motives, right? We judge everybody by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Well, I, I try to, I, I'm trying to. How, how do you know? And so I sat down and I wrote down some things. How do you know if someone, let's, let's talk about some easy ones real quick. How do you know if you're serving money, if money is your master, or possessions, whatever? Here's one, easy one. Let's start with the easy ones. You focus too much on earthly things. If your focus is all on earthly things, and that's the main focus of your life, you're distracted. And you're serving money or possessions. Here's another one. Your identity isn't found in the stuff that you have. You're trying to identify with a certain group, a certain class, a certain things that you wear, that you drive, that you live, that you have. You're trying to want people to see you at a certain status. If that's you, and that's the motive of your heart, or that's the desires of your heart, and that's why you have possessions, then you serve money. Money is your master, or possessions are your master. You're always comparing what you have to other people. Hey, did you hear about them? They got that. Well, someday I'll get it. Well, I only have this, and I hope, I, I hope someday I have, or that I get, or that I'll become. If you're always comparing yourself to other people, possessions has become your master, and you're enslaved to it. If you're jealous of what other people have, I can't believe they have that, they got that, they did that, man, someday I will. Hopefully someday we can. You're jealous of it. You're not content. And you're consciously thinking of those things. If that's you, you're enslaved to money. You're enslaved 
to possessions. You obsess about coming rich. Rich is a moving target, you know that, right? Define rich, depends who you're talking to. Rich is a moving target. Technically, if you make over in a combined family income over $40,000 a year, combined, if that's you, if you make over $40,000 a year gross in a combined family unit, you're in the top 1% wealthiest people in all the world. The world. Top 1% wealthiest people in the world. Here's the reality, we're rich. Like our cars have houses called garages and most of yours is filled with junk that you don't even need anymore. That's why you park outside. We're rich. Rich is a moving target. Somebody who, who's on a fixed income but don't make much, twelve dollars to $15,000 a year, and you said, if you, man, if I made $50,000 a year, I'd be rich. And the person making $50,000, I'm like, dang, man, if I just made like $125,000, if I could just make $125,000 our family, we, we'd be rich. And then, and then God's like, man, no, if I could make like 400,000, he's like, no, you're gonna give half to the government. So I mean, like, like if I could just make this much, that's rich. Rich is a moving target and it will change at every level because you'll never have enough. Rich moves. So you can't, you can't define that. It's different to your own perspective. Here's another one. You judge others by their financial situations. When you start saying, how in the world can they afford that? I know what they do. How can they afford that? You begin to judge other people's financial situations and you have no idea. Everybody wants to know how much everybody makes, but nobody asks how much they give. You ever thought about that? We always want to know where everybody else is, how much they make, but no one said, well, let's, well, how much do they give? How much do they sacrifice? How much of that they're giving away? No one asks that. But when you begin to judge other people's financial situations going good or bad, you are enslaved to money or possessions. And that's a heart issue. Here's some other ones. If you're not generous, you're enslaved to money and your possessions. If you don't tithe, according to the scripture, you're enslaved to your possessions. It's not a broke issue. This ain't a money issue. It's a, it's a heart issue. Listen to me. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're enslaved to money. And the sad thing is, that's the majority of Americans today. Paycheck to paycheck. You're enslaved. Oh, but my boss, if I just got a raise, if I just had better done, wait, wait, you're enslaved. You're not winning with the little bit that you do have. And what does that look like? And how do you fix that? We have financial coaches completely will help you do that completely free, help you learn how to win with your money. Little Dave Ramsey people running around here will help you learn how to do this. There's no sense for you living paycheck to paycheck. If you go around and keep telling people you're broke but you're really not broke, but you want people to think that you're broke, you are enslaved to money. When you go around and act like I don't have nothing and I don't have anything and I'm in poverty, I don't poverty, so I'm broke, or I can't afford it, I'm broke. And you tell, you'll say, man, I can't do that, I'm broke. And you start telling, you speak stuff like that out loud for people to see and hear those things from you, you are enslaved to money. Man, we could go on and on and on and on. If you're living above your means, you're enslaved to money. Which means you're spending more than you're taking in. Proverbs 22, seven, the borrower is servant to the lender. You're a slave to the lender. You are enslaved to money. If you're looking for get rich quick things, you're enslaved to money. 
I love what Proverbs 28 says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. The trustworthy person will get rich reward, he thinks he will, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. Some of you, listen to me, as your pastor, as your shepherd, as your friend, stop gambling. Stop it. It's a get-rich-quick scheme. Some of you, let the scratch go and stop playing the lottery. Oh, if we have gambling and we have the lottery in our state, we will we'll fund our teachers' retirement. We'll have more. We won't pink sleep anybody. It's heresy. You're giving followers of Jesus black eye when you stand in line sitting for a scratch-off card because you're trying to get quick rich because the jackpot is this. Stop it. Stop it. That's because you love money. You love what you think it can bring you. What's $5, what's $10? Have you seen the new jackpots? The first time it's a billion dollars. Oh my gosh, somebody's gonna win, it's gonna be me. And preacher, if I get it, boy, I'll give it to the church. I'll tithe. If you're not giving to God out of your poverty, you will not give to him out of your abundance. Stop it. Get rich quick scheme stuff. Whatever that may be, that's because you love money. You're enslaved to it. The idea that you'll never have enough, Proverbs, man, Proverbs is so good. You wanna learn how to win with your money, go and just start reading the book of Proverbs. There's 30 of them, read one chapter a day for a month and your whole mind will be shattered on what the Bible says, how you can win with your finances and how God wants to bless you for winning with your finances. The person who never has enough, they just never have enough, they just never have enough. Proverbs 30, 15 says, the leech has two suckers and they cry out more and more. There are three things, no, they're never satisfied. No, four, they will never say enough, enough, enough. They want more. If that's you, you're enslaved. You're enslaved. And here's the big one. You've forgotten the source of where your possessions come from. Some of you are really smart. You're gifted that way. And your smarts have taken you to places and has earned things, it's awesome. But who gave you your smarts? Some of you are so intuitive and you're so practical and you can see things and you can solve things and where did that come from? And because that, it's made a way for your living in life, where did that come from? Some of you are so gifted with technical things like wiring and, and, and construction, plumbing and pipe fitting and things that you think anybody can do but you're gifted and you, you can do this who gave you the strength to be able to do that? See, we've forgotten the source. Deuteronomy 8 says this, but you are to remember the Lord your God for it is he who's given you the power to make wealth. This is a tough word because this is what competes with our heart the most and Jesus knows this 2,000 years ago. So here's what you need to know. Here's, that's a person who finds hope and security in the things of the world. If I just had enough, I would be secure. If I could just make this, if, if I get to this level, get to this, then I, would ha then I don't have to worry about nothing. Listen to me. You will continue to worry about it if you're enslaved to it. But let me tell you something about money. Money is neutral. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is not evil. Money is not good. Money is neutral. You take possessions and you put them in a godly person's hand, they're gonna use them to advance the kingdom of God. You could take possessions and put them in an evil person's hand, they're gonna use it for destruction. Money is neutral. There is nothing wrong with money. There is nothing wrong with wealth. There is nothing wrong with having things. The problem is, is when things have you. It's a heart issue, not a things. You, the one who has a little bit wants more. The one who has more wants more. 
It's the stuff. And so Jesus knew this. Paul knew this. In 1 Timothy 6, this is what he says. He's preached, talking to the young preacher. He says this. But people who long to be rich fall into a temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So here it is. For the love of money. It's not money. He said, the money has the root of all you. Money's not. Money's not bad. Look what it says. It's the love. It's the passion. It's the pursuit. It's the desire, which means it's a heart issue. And Jesus says, you gotta love me supremely or you can't be my disciple. You have to love me to sacrifice yourself and carry your cross or you can't be my disciple. You have to love me more than your possessions. You might as well kiss them goodbye or, or you cannot be my disciple. This is a heart choice issue that every single follower of Jesus has to make. Will I surrender my kingdom, my possessions, and everything I have and trust Jesus? And for some of you, for the very first time today, this is the first time you've heard this. For some of you, you know this and you still disobey it. So what do we do? How do, how do I fix this? Well, Jesus knows that one of the biggest things that will compete for your heart is your possessions and one of the biggest things that you will worry about in your life are your possessions. And hear me out, worrying is a sin. And worrying over your possessions is a sin. And Jesus says, let me help you fix your worries. And Matthew chapter six, as we continue, as we finish this, he says this, that is why I tell you, do not worry. He said, remember, you can't be slave. You can't, be, you can't have two masters. God and money cannot be your master. It's, it's not easy, you should not, you can't, it's impossible. So, look what he says. That's why I tell you, don't worry. Don't worry about every day of life, whether you have enough food and drink or, or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds, man. They, they, they don't even plant or harvest or store up food in their barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add one single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look, look at the lilies, look at the fields, how they grow. They don't work and, and they don't even make their clothing, yet Solomon, the richest in the world at that point, most likely, yet Solomon in all of his glory has not or was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so much about wildflowers, come on, man, don't you think today who are, they are thrown in a fire and tomorrow gone, don't you think certainly he will care for you? Why do you have little faith? Why don't you trust him? Why do you wanna hold on to your kingdom? Why do you wanna hold on to your stuff? It's not even your stuff. And if you think it's your stuff, it's gonna be gone someday. Why do you wanna hold on to it? Verse 31, so don't worry about the things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts, look at this, of people who are lost. Those who don't even know me, those who reject me, the unbelievers, this dominates their thought, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So here you go. So here's what I want you to do. You have a choice. Either seek my kingdom or your kingdom. Which one are you gonna seek? It's a choice. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and watch this, here's the promise, and he will give you every single thing you need. Why is that so tough? That we can trust him for our salvation, 
but we can't trust him to provide for our family, put food on the table, take care of us. Seek his kingdom. Cannot serve two masters. If you can't say goodbye to your possessions, what does he mean? That the emotional connection to those things drive you, pursue you, go after you, strive to do bigger, better, more, all this. If that's the emotional drive, you're enslaved. It's your God. But if you wanna follow me, kiss it goodbye. Emotionally. And we'll talk more about how do I keep things in my pockets that's the Lord's that belongs to him, but he allows me to manage it. Remember, he didn't say give it all away. Unless he tells you to do that, then you need to listen to Jesus. And it's, he says, you gotta give it up. Say goodbye to it. It's no longer my God. It's no longer my idol. It no longer controls me. Or you cannot be my disciple. So what's our next steps? Next steps, here's what you gotta understand. One, this is a heart issue. It's not a broke issue. It's not a budget issue. It's I don't make enough money issue. It's not I'm on a fixed income issue. It's not, preacher, you don't know how much I pay in taxes issue. It's not a tax issue. None of this, that's none issue. None of it. It's right here. Who's king? It's a heart choice. It's a decision you have to make. Do you trust him? Will you trust him? It's a trust issue. Surrender issue. Do I trust him? And then I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm not gonna worry. I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna do what my king tells me to do. I'm gonna do what my master tells me to do. I'm gonna do what my Lord tells me to do. And I'm gonna take him at his word and I'm gonna trust him. So here's my kingdom. Everything I have belongs to you. And when you do that, God, then I'm gonna seek first your kingdom. And here's what's so amazing. If you'll get to this point, he says, if you'll seek my kingdom, I'll take care of your kingdom. Do you trust me? Will you say goodbye to it and trust me? And that's the decision that every one of us have to make. So go back to the first verse, Luke 14, 33, our founding verse for the day. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up the emotional attachment. You gotta renounce it everything that you own, all your possessions. Well, you can't be my disciple. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. And just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that I'm still holding on to? See what he shows you. Just ask him. So you're my Lord, you're my master, you're my king. What area of my life that was mentioned today still has a stronghold or a grip in my life? What area? This doesn't mean you're a sinful, bad person. If something pops up and go, oh man, that's me, that's, oh, I'm still holding on, or oh man, I'm always complaining, or oh, I'm always comparing, oh man, I'm always talking about I'm broke and telling people I'm broke, but really I'm not, but I keep saying that because I want people to think that. Ah, ah. Listen, that don't make you a bad, sinful person, that makes you human. And Jesus has come, watch this, to become more like him, to sanctify our hearts, and it will be a lifelong process. And today is one step closer to becoming more like Jesus by trusting him. 
So a few next steps real quick. Number one today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, he loves you. He loves you. Today, he's not saying give all your possessions up for salvation because you can't buy salvation. You can't earn it. It's free to you. It costs God his son. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. It's a free gift. And right where you're set, at any of our campuses, or if you're watching online, you can confess to the Lord, I believe, Jesus, I believe you came for me, I believe you died for me, I believe you got up out of the grave for me, and today, as best as I know how, I repent of my sin, and I put all my faith in you to be my King, my Lord, my Master. And I hope and pray you do that today. Second invitation, maybe you need somebody to help you work through some of your financial issues. We have financial coaches here who help you do that. No shame in that. Are you kidding me? I have financial coaches. I text my financial coach yesterday. I had questions. I've been walking through this stuff in my own life and saying, hey, help me work through this. I got a financial coach myself. I have people in my life. You need people like that in your life. We have trained coaches. We'd love to help you in any way we can. And then thirdly, whatever the Lord revealed to you this morning that you may be holding on to, ask him to help you to release that and trust him. You know how many times I cry out like the man in the scripture says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I trust you. Help me in the areas where I don't. And God will answer that prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. How relevant it is today. So living and so active. And God, what I love about you so much is how patient you are with us. And even though when we fall and even though we get distracted, your grace and your mercy is new every day. And even when the enemy wants to come, even like he is right now, to accuse us and try to make us feel guilty or shame or not good enough or, or mad or aggravated, just throw these thoughts in our mind that you're there, Holy Spirit, to say, no, it's my kindness that leads us to repent and turn to you. That God, your kingdom is patient with us and you're slow to anger. That we don't have to be afraid of you. God, when we make a mistake, we can confess it. And guess what? God, you restore us. So Father, my prayer is that you would allow no one to leave here today feeling condemned or guilty. And God, they would run to you and their faith and trust would be placed in you. And God, that you will rebuke the devil in their life from lying to them, that, that we can trust you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and God, with all of our possessions, we could trust you. So Lord, help us surrender. For your name we ask and we pray, and everybody said,